Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip focuses on the fear of criticism principle, plus an interview with architect Darren James. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future Future performance. And now, here's Philip back with another episode of Ask Philip. And I have a really good guest today, Darren James. Now, there's there's a lot of good business people in, in, in DFW, but I think, uh, in my opinion, Darren is going to be one of the best business people that, I, that I've interviewed so far in DFW from the, the, the community involvement, from uh, the amount of business that he does, from his knowledge, his expertise. Um, so I'm I'm happy to have him today on the show. Share about his, you know, his success story and principles that he's used to become successful. So thanks for being on the show, Darren. No, I appreciate the invite. Uh, we had conversations, so I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we could make this happen. I know we had a couple of uh, misstarts because of uh, COVID. <laughs> COVID, man, COVID threw everything off. How, how, yeah, how did COVID? I guess in in the contracting world, it really didn't slow yeah. down, did it? Well, it's interesting. So in the design space, um, like we've got an office in Missouri and Atlanta is where in St. Louis and then in uh, Atlanta. Um, design was considered an essential business. In Texas, it was a little quiet on it. Construction was an essential business, but design was, although we support construction, it was still kind of quiet. But most of my colleagues and even us were able to um, kind of work remotely. The one thing we did notice is... Um, if you had the uh, technological infrastructure, you were able to uh, really adapt pretty quickly. Like our team, we had the pipelines, we had the software, we had the uh, the uh, hardware. So everybody was able to adapt and work from home. Now, we did see in the construction space some slowdown in the healthcare side. Mm. Because once they took away those uh, elective procedures, that really impacted the ability to... Um, most of those healthcare agencies decided they didn't know how the funding was going to work. So some of those projects slowed down a little bit. Got it. Got it. To come back, but it took, a, it took a while. And, and, and for those who don't know what, what is, what, what all does KAI enterprises do? So we provide uh architecture and engineering. We're also uh MEP. So we design architecture, interior design, MEP engineering, program and construction management, and then at-risk construction out of our Missouri operations. Okay. And then we're across the, the country. We have uh, three principal offices, and then we have three uh, project-based offices. And and this is something that you started – when did you start your business, or how long ago was that? So I'm a partner. I've actually been affiliated uh, since 93. Okay. I became an equity partner in 2005. So okay. in 2017, my partner and I bought out the founder of the company. The founder happens to be my partner's father. Got so, it. So African-American-owned firm. Uh, for, we celebrated our 40th anniversary this year. So we're extremely proud of that. February uh, made 40 years. I've been affiliated with the company, what's that, 93 
Oh, man, I can't even do the math right now. <laughs> yeah, a while ago, a while ago. Something, yeah, a while like, ago. something like 27 years, I think. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, yes. So, um, no, that's cool. Because there's not a whole lot of um, uh, African Americans in the architecture space from, from what I've seen, right? No, there's, uh, I, I looked at the numbers the other day. We're like 3% of registered architects across the country. And that's, uh, and and and, it, and it's unbelievable given that you know from a culture standpoint we uh you know if you had to generalize um our culture is more um I don't want to say cuz it's not art that you do but you know what I mean like design focus like you know right. um uh, color there's a creative aspect yeah. and there's a technical aspect and you know surprisingly this this past February I did a my Instagram post for the month of February were uh, historic black architects that were kind of forgotten or under the radar. And the, the interesting thing is we've been around since the founding of the country and we've done some great things. There is some architects that were obviously Benjamin Banneker actually designed the layout for Washington DC, but there's architects that have um, just come up as builders that actually started to design some of the spaces. And you got to think some of our communities were self-sustaining. So they had to be designers that knew how to, to build and take that, that creative piece and that technical piece and marry the two. And that's kind of what it is, is a marriage the creative side with the ability to make sure that things stand up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and so what, what are some of the principles or, or philosophies you've used personally to be successful in business? Uh, I, I think I recognized a long time ago that um, I'm all, I'm standing on the shoulders of people that came before me. And I think that's the reason, you know, thanks, thanks for that question because it made me think about what I did in February is like, there had to be people that came before me, but we weren't we weren't taught that. And so some of the principles that I use are somebody opened the door for me. Somebody helped me get my first job. And so it's it's innate in me to give back. And that's kind of what we do in our in our practice. We believe in transforming communities through integrated design and construction. And so through that, we serve if you look at our projects over our 40 years most of them have been in uh, under-resourced under underserved communities because we believe that they have a voice and good design matters and just because they happen to be under-resourced or underserved there's no reason that they should get less than anybody else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 like how did you? How long did it take you to understand? Because sometimes when you have a principle like like for me, I'll do things unconsciously that like my pops taught me, and okay. then and then I get older and realize, oh yeah, that's what I was doing, right? But but how long did it take you to realize? Oh, these are the principles that I use. Or did you already know going into it? And then where'd you learn it from? So um, I, I think I stepped back and looked at my. Um, my my grandfather, my my grandmother, you know, they were all kind of civic leaders and lay leaders in their church. Uh, my dad is a, a leader. My brother's an elected official. I think just through that civic give back was in me. I don't think I recognize you like, man, I got to go to another event. I got to do this. <laughs> like you said, but it's just kind of and it's innate in you. And like, you you know how you were little. And you go somewhere and it's like, Dad, can we go? How many more people do you have to talk to? And then I see myself doing that same thing. And then my kids are looking at me like, Dad, can we go? <laughs> so I think it's a combination of that um, and just life lessons. I think um, the more 
you kind of grow into the role of being um, president of an organization. You recognize some of the things that have kind of helped frame your journey and path. Um, and then you step back and you recognize the people that have kind of helped you along the way. And so those things have just kind of, I want to say probably in the last 10 years have kind of gelled and then over. The, and obviously during COVID, you get a lot more time to think and be introspective. And so uh, some of that is just gelled. And those are some of the things I impart to the people that I mentor or some of the people I talk talk to. At the end of the day, you know, I think one of the things is there's no reason for me to hold the lessons that I've learned from somebody else. You know, I'm give what all I have to make sure that somebody else can can intrinsically be better in their profession, and in their personal life so that they don't have to go through the same type of things I had to fight. No, I like that. There are some people that believe that there's a culture you know, locally of not giving back. But I'm like, no, nah, I've never seen that. Like a lot of people that I've known, um, and I'm a transplant, so I don't really know know the history. But I'm like, but I'm like, I've seen a lot of people who are just about giving back and helping. And um, so, uh, you know, glad to hear you say that because I felt that from you. But um, you know, I always tell I always tell folks, no, nah, man, there's people here doing it. Maybe you just not hang with the right people. <laughs> it's interesting, and I don't know if it's a transplant thing too, because I, you know, I heard that too when I got here. I was like. No, like you said, you must not be talking to the right people or maybe it's your spirit, you know, look in the mirror and see if it's you. Yeah, yeah, no, (laughs) facts, facts. (laughs) What about in life? Do you, do you, I'm assuming you use the same principles in life, but are there any other principles that you use just for your life that have, that have helped you, um, you know, because it's one thing to be successful in business, but to be a whole rounded person, you know, like we all want to be, you know, what, what are some of those principles you use? Um, I think uh, the other thing is, you know, at one time I'm, I'm obviously, I, I may be overcommitted. You know, I look at my, my wife and my family, like, man, you got too much stuff going on, but I've been able to compartmentalize. I think the one thing I've learned to do though, uh, and actually this is recent, probably within the last two years is be in the moment in, in the place. And I think that's kind of what, what helps uh, ground me. There's certain things like I love to go to uh, a tropical island or I love to go to a beach. Uh, those things are kind of where I reconnect and disconnect. The other thing I do from a private side is uh, Saturdays, I completely disconnect. I mean, obviously I have my phones on, but I'm not working. Like I might catch a text, I might catch an email or take a phone call, but it's not like I'm intently focused. And then Sunday, I kind of ease back in. I watch the early games, like 12 o'clock games. And then about 3.20, maybe I'll, I'll turn the computer on. And then about halftime, I'll really get engaged to get ready for the week. But I try to use Saturday as my time not to do any work. I don't do any KAI work. I don't do any nonprofit work. It's just I'm trying to do, I'm trying, I use that time for uh, Darren and my family. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I recently took the Facebook app off my phone, and, okay. and, and I think I think I'm toying with the idea of getting a flip phone for the weekend. You know what I mean? Really? Just, okay. You, you know, the, you have no connectivity. Yeah, the down, downside is I won't. You know, we hang out, and I won't get my picture, so I got to figure that out. But uh, but I'm I'm, I'm 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 thinking through that. I'm like, man, I get a flip phone, or I think Beeper's going to come out. Matter of fact. That's that's I'm, I'm making the you statement. You get a two way. You Man, get a be- two way. Beepers are going to come back. <laughs> Mark my word. We're putting it on the podcast within the next five years. I promise you, beepers are because because you you know we got rid of phones out of the house, right. but now 
the what, what do you have? The Facebook, um, what is the thing? Portal. That little, that little Facebook pod thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the telephone again. So I'm like, beepers right. are going to come back a whole different way because people are going to be tired of All being right. so plugged in. You know. All right, so. man, when you invest in that, call me up. I will <laughs> be part of that because that technology, like you said, all things new or old again. Mm-hmm. Or all, thing, all things old or new again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, what roles did mentor play in your journey? Uh, it's interesting. I never really, I didn't, I didn't have defined mentors. Um, what I did was I learned a little bit from everybody I've kind of engaged with, like obviously the founder of the company that I'm with now, uh, my previous boss, I've been fortunate and blessed. I've actually, um, worked for African-American firms, except for my three-year stint at Texas Women's University. I worked for a black architecture firm in Kansas City and then a black architecture firm in St. Louis. And then I branched out and came and kind of, we were here, but I I grew to presence. So obviously I learned a lot from them. Uh, My dad, my grandfather were mentors. My dad, my grandfather, was uh, one of the first black engineers in the state of Missouri. And he had to leave Missouri to actually get his education because the state of Missouri at that time wouldn't educate him. And so he had to go to Wisconsin. Um, But he was a, he loved history and he loved his family. So we would, every other year they would go out of the country, he and my grandmother. And then the years they would stay here, they would go visit my aunt and uncle. And they throw me and my brother in the back seat and like, hey, we're gonna see your cousins. And so we do, you know, back then, I may be dating myself, AAA would do these triptychs where you could actually map out your trip on the on the highway. And we map out. Uh, so I've been to the Hall of Fame. And so he was kind of a, a, a he, he was a voracious reader. He had a library in his house. And so we would uh, drive and we picked places. And so I love to read and love to see. So I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from my dad. My dad is the reason I'm an architect. Uh, I learned a lot from those two individuals, but everybody I interact with, I learned something from. And then, so I probably had maybe three people that I like, you're, you or who I consider a mentor. Um, but for the most part, I'm trying to observe and absorb what I can, you know, good and bad. And like, yeah, I don't want to do it that way. So I'll, that lesson helps me do it the other way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that too. Cause I had, um th- that's 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 similar to me i've had a couple of it's weird i'm only 36 now but i'm forgetting that when i was 22 you know i i looked up the 36 year old so a couple of couple of young cats are like hey man can you can you mentor me i was like i'm not even that much older than you what are you talking about you know right uh but but i started, I started thinking about it. i was i was like yeah man i said uh, you know and i said the same thing as you i said hey um you know, a lot, a lot of mentoring, you know, I'm happy to help where I can. I don't know if I can do a committed, whatever, hour, lunch, a month or whatever, because I got young kids. But like you, I was like, a lot of it is just, you know, you, you got a specific question, a specific deal, like I'm here for you, you know what I'm saying? Or yeah. ping me, email me, call me, you know, but I doubt my experience has been like yours. A lot of mentoring was, you know, from afar or ask specific questions, um, um, and you would be shocked, you know. Um, I I got a reply back from Robert Smith um, after he after he came big time when he came out with his 2015 New York Times, you know, spread. I emailed right. him and, and he hit me back. And um, but I was like, it's small things like that that you you know successful people want to you know give back. They just don't have the time to right. give you an hour <laughs> an hour a month, 
Like, I'm gonna give you what I can give you, <laughs> but it's not gonna be consistent. But you take what you can because in that in that that hour by the time you get a lot of insight and it's wild. Yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> and yeah. so I'm like you, it's like people are like you're my mentor. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little older than you. I'm in my fifties, but I'm still like, man, you know, I don't feel like I I've got enough. <laughs> But what I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share. And so that's what I appreciate about our conversation is that I got the spirit from you when we talked. Definitely, man. I appreciate that. Same, same here. And and this podcast kind of helps me get informally mentored from all of y'all because I learned I, I, I learn a lot from these conversations. And this is a side note, because when you said something um, about black architects and you can and this is a pseudo political question, so you can feel free to not answer. But but. Um, with with Biden running, have you have you heard? And we both know whether Biden wins or Trump wins to get out of this depression that we're really still in. Forget the stock right. market that we're still in. It's going to have to be some federal infrastructure programs. But is we know Trump's not going to get a give a commitment. But is Biden, since he wants the black vote, committing to make sure black contractors get their uh, fair share of that of that money? Because if it's left to Texas or locally, we know how that plays out. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen that commitment. Um, I'm not even sure I've seen that ask. I know uh, Bloomberg when he was when he was still in the race was commit. He had a, a a specific black platform that included some affordable housing, some uh, business investments, and some other things. I haven't seen that platform come out of uh, Biden's camp. I know um, he's actually a lot more active in Texas than previous Democratic candidates. Uh, and so some of the people that I've been uh, navigating around or having conversations, but I haven't seen an economic investment platform just yet. Got it. Yeah, we got to get him or at least MJ Hagar, see where yeah. she stands on that, because right. I think that's important. The money, the, the money is coming. We just need to, exactly. you know, I was, like, yeah. I, was like, I was like, forget reparations, man. Just give our black contractors the money. It'll cycle through. As you know, I was telling people that were like, well, PPP, I said, you got to think of PPP as basically stopgap funding. It's there to hold you until the revenue starts to flow. If the revenue doesn't start to flow, you still get to the end of that trough and there's nothing there. And so the same thing you're saying is that provide opportunities for real work and revenue. We know how to make that work and last and be sustainable, you know. And we're talking about real meaningful impact, not just, you know, crumbs here, crumbs there. We're talking about real businesses, real, you know, prime contracts, real opportunities to grow your business. And the reality is, is I tell people when you get in these spaces, uh, you may have got me off on a tangent. So <laughs> nah, I, go I'm ahead, go ahead. Thought and then I'll keep going um, or I'll finish this thought and let you uh, ask the next question. But the reality is, is that, you know, the difference is sometimes between um, black businesses and other businesses are. We have to take one bite at the apple and then wait to finish that. And then they evaluate your performance. Then they give you another bite. But you got to get in line. Whereas some other businesses don't have those same stipulations. They'll get stacked. They'll get two or three opportunities. And so that allows the revenue to kind of flow through because it's cyclical. And that's that's the big issue is cash flow is cyclical. Um, the people that I have working for me graduated from the same universities, had the same degrees, had the same experience. It's not, there's no difference. It's just a matter of the way that they view the, the owner of the business sometimes. No, yeah, no, that, that, that's fact. That's, that's part of the reason why, you know, earlier this year I joined, um, 
Regional Black Contract Association. I don't even really go to the meetings. I just want, I was like, man, I want to financially, because if, if I'm thinking about like, okay, what is the biggest factor in helping our community? It's getting money there, right? And where, and, and if you track the, the wealth of like all the, you know, all the wealthy families in most of the local towns, it comes from government contractors, right? The, the trickle down effect is other deals, but I'm like, no, nah, man, the, the Ross Perot's and all those guys, they got big government contracts. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's what got them <laughs> a lot of their money. You know what's funny is I was I was in an organization and it was probably, you know, probably we were maybe five percent black people in the in the and they're like, hey, out of your contracts, how much of your government contracts? I said, hey, hey, hey. I said, you talking about like like that's a bad thing. I said, the same businesses that are doing other stuff, they got government contracts. I'm not the only one. Don't look at me as like I got my hands out. I'm doing the same thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I'm not, I'm not working on these government contracts and it's only us. <laughs> I look around the room and it looks like it's a lot of y'all too. Mm-hmm. Listen, it, the, the money management business is, is probably even worse. I, okay. it, if, if, because a lot of the, the 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 big money managers, like the the private equity and the real estate funds and the and the hedge funds, were these. I mean, they're they're top of the charts billionaires, right? Like right. all of them got government pension money as money for the most part, right? And you know how many okay. of us get some of that money? I mean, as close to zero as possible. You know, yeah, it's it's it's, it. it's it's crazy. <laughs> like you, I struggle to even figure out where to start. You know, um, okay. um, so yeah, it's. It, 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 I I don't look at that as a negative. I'm like, no, that's that's how the billionaires got the billions. You know, right? We got to get yeah. ours. It, that's just business. That's what I, that's what I tell. Them. I said that's just business. That's just one avenue, and that's just one market sector. Yes, sir. I'm not gonna exclude myself because uh, it's open to everyone. Absolutely. So, um, la, la, last few questions. So, um, you you kind of mentioned the game plan for COVID. As far as you know, y'all were already relatively prepared with the technology. But what what was your mindset going into COVID and and saying, okay, I got to make sure that we make it through and continue to do what we got to do to survive this this situation? So um, step back into December, you're sitting there and like you're looking at your projections, you're looking at your pipelines, and everything looks great. I mean, you're coming out of it, and then you hit this little, you know, nobody anticipated that this virus was going to shut the world down. And so that that trickle down affected, you know, I, d- I do business with people that have international connections. And when those international connections shut down, that impacted my ability to uh, maintain uh, some workforce here. So I had to pivot. So a lot of it is you have to be flexible and pivot. But I'm going to step back even a couple of years ago. You know, you're in the, fin- the finance financial services area and you understand the cyclical nature of uh, economy. So recessions hit anywhere from eight to 10 years. We knew it was coming. We knew something was coming. And then even the economists were saying that, hey, something's going to hit. And so we started preparing maybe about 2018. Let's look for contracts that have longevity. And everybody says recession proof. let's say recession resistant. And so we started to look for opportunities that gave us some uh, runway and bandwidth to kind of survive the cyclical nature of the smaller 
kind of yearly projects. So we got some multi-year projects. So that kind of helped. Um, and then we were able to um, look and mine opportunities that we traditionally may not have looked at, but we're in our wheelhouse um, and able to source and land some of those uh, projects during COVID. Uh, and then the fact that the way the business is structured, we have, we're a multidisciplinary firm in multi, multi-geographic regions. So that allowed us, obviously, um, Texas is a little more robust. When things hit, we don't take the biggest hit, at least in North Texas. I know uh, Houston took a bigger hit because of the oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Um, but being in uh, Dallas in the DFW region helps. Uh, having opportunities in Atlanta helped, having uh, a place in St. Louis helped. So we're able to kind of basically teeter-totter and manage based on the fact that we've got diverse income streams and diverse revenue streams. And then at the same time, you have to make uh, strategic decisions on how you manage your cash flow and how do, how do you how you navigate that? What do you start to constrict and um, things like that? Okay. And so. So preparation, advanced preparation, thinking in advance. I like that. What do you do to strengthen your your mind, body, and spirit? Uh, My Saturdays, man. This Saturday is like my disconnect day. Um, This past Sunday, I actually hung out with my daughter and uh, my son-in-law, my other sister's uh, husband. Uh, We just had a a good day. Um, Connect with friends. So it's just kind of disconnect from this mm-hmm. because there's a lot. I tell people I've got not only KAI, but I'm also the chair of the Dallas Black Chamber, and I'm also president of Fair Park First, and I sit on the Dallas Citizens Council. So there are a lot of things going on, especially now everybody kind of activated to how do we how do we navigate COVID and how do we navigate the economic crisis. But I try to use my weekends to kind of disconnect. I play a lot of those little video games on my iPad. Those kind of help me (laughs) get away from work and get away from the pressures of life. But for the most part, um, I love to read. I love to read. Got it. All right. We talked talked off air, but we got to put it on air. What's your favorite football team? Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks. I'm a Russell Wilson fan. I've I've actually been a Seahawks fan. I grew up in St. Louis and – the St. Louis Cardinals, before they moved to uh, Phoenix, uh, were in the same division as Seattle. So I remember Steve Largent as a uh, as one of the wide receivers, and they would always come down. And the Cardinals weren't that great at the time. So uh, Jim Hart was good. Deardorff was good. Terry Metcalf were great. But uh, Steve Largent would always eat us up. And so I did, they were just kind of in my mind. And then when I the Rams came to St. Louis, they won the Super Bowl, and then they got horrible. And then I moved to Dallas and Dallas is a, I root for the home team, except when they play Seattle, mm-hmm. let me put it that way. Yeah. But Seattle, I've been, I was rocking with them before uh, they won the Super Bowl. They should have two now. I'm still a little, I'm still a little <laughs> disgruntled about that. <laughs> I, I think they'll get one this year. Cause I'm trying to think, I'm like, who, who's better than Seattle? I don't, you know, now that the, the Patriots are broken up, you right. know, the duo and, yeah. and, and, and my boy, Peyton Man, Peyton, not Peyton Manning. Uh, Drew Brees ain't. I don't know, man. I, these last yeah, two games ain't. I was been, looking at him. This looked like he's aging bef- before our eyes. Man, I, you know, I don't like to count him out because Drew. You know, Drew has a little bit of Tony Romo. Drew is like a 
Tony Romo next level because Tony was good, but he would just he was really good, then he would just and he'd just be terrible. And that's kind of right. how Drew is. Drew is like really good, and then he's just terrible sometimes. So you know, uh, so we'll we'll see. He might just he might change it up on us. Well, I think they they kind of got that rotation in the quarterback. They bring in uh, I can't think of his name, but they bring him in. For yeah, Taysom the Hill. And do mm. up. Yeah, Taysom Hill. That, that that dude is good. I'm glad we we didn't get rid of him. I haven't seen Bridgewater yet all year, but yeah, I don't think I don't think they're gonna bring him off the board. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about the, the the finals? Lakers or Miami? Uh, I don't really have, you know, I. I I don't really have a dog in that one, okay. but I think I'm a I'm a ride with uh the Lakers. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a big Laker fan, but I'm a LeBron fan because I like anybody that claims their position and is able to defend their position. As I'm a great I'm a great player. I'm a great person, and he's able to defend that against all comers. And so for him to get there ten ten times, yeah, um, I'm I'm not gonna say he's the you know, the greatest basketball player ever. But I like I like being in this season where you can see somebody that's elevated their game that much more. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Miami so shocked. What about you? No, I think it's a foregone conclusion, Lakers, because, you know, I, I, I am I am a LeBron fan. Um uh let me not say LeBron fan, but I'm like, you know, you got the you got generation that says MJ is a goat, generation that says LeBron's sure. a goat. Like I I just I personally don't like Jordan. Just as a, I don't know him, but I'm talking okay. about when you when you think about okay, he was rude to his teammates. He left his he left his day one. He right. he you know he was like none of his teammates like him now. He right. you know he uh, lost for the first season to first six seasons until he got Phil Jackson and in, in the team. Not taking anything away from him, I'm like just his whole deal. He's not a person that I would just. If I were to meet, I'd be like, oh, let me go out of my way and say hi to MJ. I wouldn't do that because nothing right. about his actions make me want to do that. So I'm kind of biased. And then LeBron is the opposite, right? He yeah. makes sure his, his the other people get paid. You know, he speaks out. He stayed with his day one, right? right. Um, you know what I'm saying? He makes his team better. He's done, you know, yeah. he's done something with nothing. And so I'm just like um, – you know, I wasn't. I really didn't care that much until people would like just really not even respect LeBron. Like I'm like he's at least in the conversation. I'm not saying he's definite right. number one, but I'm saying if I say he's number one and you say George's number one, I think it's a debate. I don't think it's a right. foregone conclusion. And so I want him to win just so he can get another ring uh, yeah. added to the deal. Yeah, you know, I would hate for him to be, you know, <laughs> to lose and have another loss. <laughs> on <this> belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that 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 definitely wouldn't be good for the debate. Right. <laughs> so, um, well, no, I, I appreciate the um, taking the time out to, to share with us. If anybody had, uh, you know, any any questions or um, maybe even any projects that they wanted to reach out and talk to you about, uh, what's the best way to uh, check you out? Uh, have them call the office 214-742-0400, or they can email me at dljames at kai-db.com. Got it. Well, and, and enjoy the rest of your day. Appreciate your time. All right, man. Enjoy, enjoy your Saturday you. tomorrow. Or, All enjoy right. Enjoy your Saturday tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Right, Appreciate you your time. All right. I hear a lot of times people who spend thousands of dollars on courses to learn how to invest. I've heard people spend hours and hours reading all kinds of blogs and uh, books on how to invest. Some conflicting. Many of them are not from 
professionals who do it all the time. And so a couple of years ago, I wrote a book, Retirement Investing 101. It sells on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, but you can get a free PDF copy on my website at stonehillwealthmanagement.com. I put it on my website at the shock of other folks that I know that are in business. They're like, Philip, why do you put it on a website and, and make it free? I was like, listen, I just... People don't want to go buy it. That's fine. I want to get the information out there. I wrote it in a short, simple, easy to read format. Not a lot of technical jargon, but allows you to read the book and walk away knowing, all right, here's how I should invest my money for retirement or how I should expect a financial advisor or wealth manager to advise me on doing it so I don't come into a meeting feeling not smart. But it's a, again, short, simple read. Go to StonehillWealthManagement.com. You can get a free PDF copy because ultimately some people might say, oh, what about regular investing? I'm like, listen, when you say investing for retirement, you can interchange that with becoming financially independent, becoming financially free. If if I break down everybody's financial or investment goals, it's I want to one day be in a position to work because I want to, not because I have to. That's what retirement means. And this is what this book helps you do. So get your free PDF copy, share the link with your friends, and let's get back to the show. All right. Today we're going to talk about another fear, fear of criticism. And I don't know which fear has the biggest impact on your money. Uh, and I'm probably going to say this about all of them. But this, I feel like, is one of the biggest ones that that people have that affects uh, a lot of areas of their life, but, but you know, definitely their money. And so what is, what is the fear of criticism? It's the fear that others might think negatively of us. The fear of making a mistake or having other people see your mistakes, right? Let me give like a non-financial example to, to play it out. So I know I know this boxer, amateur boxer, if you can call him an amateur boxer, but he has two friends who said, hey, I want to get in shape. I want to, you know, I see you getting in shape. I want to get in shape. Um, and so but and and so he said, all right. He told both of them, all right, let's let's do some workouts together. One friend was like, nah, I, I'm gonna put my own bag and do my own workout, you know, myself, because I just I don't really want you to, you know, see see how not good I am. You know, he was afraid of of being of of getting I don't want to say in critic, you know, criticism, or he he was afraid of getting critiqued on where he was in skills. And so that was friend A. Let's, let's call that person friend A, right? Friend B. Was like, yeah, I don't have an ego. Let's let's do it, right? And so then you play it. They they played it out, and after two three months, you know, the first friend that was afraid to work out with with the homie who boxed, he's still, you know, same out of shape, dad bod uh, that he had before. And friend B is is getting better and becoming a better boxer, right? So so in in that example, you see that in order for to grow, right? You you have to expose yourself to quote unquote being criticized, right? And people think being criticized is negative, right? There is negative criticism, but you can also interchange criticism with feedback. I think when we say fear of criticism, people fear both the same, right? They don't want the feedback. You know, nobody likes this this negative criticism, you know, but you you can't take one without the other, right? You have to be open uh, to both and let them both uh, unemotionally not affect you and be able to sort through. Uh, the noise, right? Another another example is, and this is one that affects the money, is the whole keeping up with the Joneses uh, concept. A, a lot of folks, if they really dig deep and go inside themselves, they realize, hey, the, 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 the clothes they buy, the house they buy, the cars they buy, a lot of times, especially if it's out of their 
budget, right? I don't knock anybody for spending money on what you want. It's your money. You work hard. Go do it. But it's a lot of people that buy those things and have no money to save. They have no savings. They have credit card debt. Their retirement is in, savings is inaccurate or in, in, inadequate for what, where they say they want to be. But they bought all that stuff to keep up with the Jones. They they don't want to. They want to look successful. They say, "Hey, I do this for a living. I need, you know, I, I have to have this car, or I have to have this house, or I, or my friends won't think I'm successful, right?" And nobody ever verbally says that, you know. But when they do the deep dig work, or, or the deep work, if you're living outside of your means, then you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? And, and whatever aspect of, of of what you do. And again, you're 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 fearing being criticized. You don't want the silent criticism of them saying, "Oh, you know, y'all do that and y'all drive that." Hmm, interesting. You know, you you try to run from that, and and it affects your money. Here's some examples of some successful people and and how they use criticism opposite of what non-successful people do. Uh, Ray Ray Dalio, I I love reading this stuff. He's runs the largest hedge fund in the world. A billionaire successful dude and in their culture is, is very unique they have a culture where if, if somebody's brand new like just started yesterday and they're in a meeting even if they're in a meeting with Ray Dalio who's the CEO like they can criticize them the, the new person can criticize them they say hey that's a, that's not a very wise idea here's why I think that it's it's open it's accepted it's encouraged right so but the culture is hard because what, what you hear is it takes about 18 months for folks to get used to that type of culture where criticism or thoughtful disagreements, what they call it, is encouraged. But the ones who make it through it, the culture is better. Everybody feels, you can never say everybody, but the culture is an open, honest, transparent culture. They obviously are doing something well because they are amazing business, like world leaders all around the world look to Bridgewater for for their advice and thoughts. But it's he built a culture that would weed out the fear of criticism, and it leaves people who know how to emotionally deal with criticism in a healthy way. So that, and, and if you want more info on that, just Google Bridgewater's culture, and it's all kinds of st- stuff written about it that I think you might find useful. Nick Saban is another idea. I was listening to a podcast with Ryan Holiday, who's an amazing author. He wrote Ego is the Enemy, Stillness is the Key. I forget the other book. But he was talking about when he was speaking at Alabama, Nick Saban's, uh, where he's the coach, and he was saying Nick Saban was sitting in the front row taking notes to Ryan Holiday, who's like 33 years old. Nick's, and if you don't know who Nick Saban is, like he's a, he's a master of strategy, of, of having the right mindset, of all the things that this guy writes in his book, Nick Saban implements the best at the highest level of, of sports, period, not just college sports. Like He is a machine, but he's still sitting in the front row taking notes, asking questions. And what does that have to do with criticism? A lot of people don't learn, don't seek knowledge, wouldn't do that because they don't want to, you know, especially if, if you're the if if you're Nick Saban, like you're every coach in football wants to be you, right? You may not want to appear like you're learning from this 33 year old kid because it makes you not like the authority. But you know, Nick Saban doesn't care about what people think. He he does not let the fear of criticism let him find one nugget, right? Because I'm pretty sure most of the talk he didn't get anything new. But if he he's taking notes, because if he finds one new thing, it'll make him better. And and the lack of fear of criticism allows him to continue to grow and continue to be the master uh, that he is. Uh, another example that that I just love is is my wife, right? So being in the wealth management world, you can you can understand it's a re- relatively pretentious field, you know. And so 
it was it was one time we were I, I can't remember where we were at. It's probably good. I can't remember where we were at, but we were at some event. Or matter of fact, I think we we, uh, we won a trip and we were like some place with a very nice beach, and so all the you know all the other wives were you know just talking about materialistic stuff what they buy, what they spend money on. They have to have this bag and this bag. And my wife, my wife is, and she, she this isn't the only, like she does this all the time. She lets me know, I don't, you know, I, I get what I get, but I don't have to have all that. Like, that's not super important to me. And kind of changed the the, def, the definition and, and tone of the conversation. And what ended up all, always happening is the majority of them also kind of feel relieved. They're like, yeah, I don't really, you know, I actually feel like, you know, Kelly. And she'll change the temperature and bring everybody down to earth because most people, you know, most people are just engaging in that to one up and prove anybody else. But at the core of it, like it doesn't really matter. And my wife has done that multiple times over the years I've known her and let people know, hey, like that stuff doesn't impress me. You know, I'm not knocking you, but, you know, I I, I like nice things, but it doesn't make me who I am. Right. And believe me, my wife does like nice things, but I like the fact that it doesn't define her. Uh, she does it with well within our means, and the cool thing is she gives other people that she hangs around the the comfortableness or the confidence to say, "Hey, yeah, around Kelly, I don't have to do that. You know, maybe around other people, but around Kelly, I can just be myself." And so I like watching that from afar. So here's a takeaway: in order to grow beyond where you are, you have to expose yourself and your ideas. You don't have to agree with your critics. Matter of fact, most of them you probably won't agree with, but the ability to overcome the fear of criticism and take it and put it through a process will pay dividends in your personal, spiritual, and financial growth, right? So, you know, get comfortable with saying, hey, if, if you get criticism, good, bad, whatever, does it apply to me? You know, should I use it? Is it accurate? Like, take go through the process and learn how to process it without getting defensive, without getting emotional, and it will make you... Uh, a better person, I believe, and for the you know for the point of this podcast, it'll help you make more money in the long term. I'm very confident in that. So, last notes: fights tomorrow. Tomorrow is October third. I am I'm ready. You know, I my wrist probably is probably probably fractured, but when I wrap it up, I won't feel it. But I'm ready. Like I I train hard. I got a good game plan. I have superior coaching. I'm pretty sure I outworked whoever I'm going to be facing tomorrow. I'm in great shape. I have an amazing six-pack. I just like it. I haven't had a six-pack. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to think, have I ever had a six-pack? I mean, I was I was swollen and thin, but I don't think I've had a six-pack like this. It's it's pretty amazing if I can say so myself. So I'm I'm ready. I'm a, you know, good good weight. And so now it's time to today's my relaxed day. I might shadow box a little bit, walk through some walk through some things, watch some I've been watching Ryan Garcia and, and, and Errol Spence fights in preparation of the November 21 fight. That's, that's kind of, both of those guys are amazing boxers. So I'll probably watch some more of those fights today just to get inspired. But yeah, I'm ready tomorrow. Now, you may or may not see footage depending on the outcome of what happens tomorrow. If you follow me on Instagram at AskPhilip and I win, you'll probably see footage. If not, I'm pretty sure you won't see footage, right? So follow me and there's a high probability I'm going to win, and so you'll see some footage. Y'all enjoy your weekend. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. 
For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.